it was beautifully sang also. Praise God. We appreciate these young folks and thank God that they're using their talent for the glory of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We're good. To, it's good to be here tonight and uh, we thank you for being here. Let me, let me just quickly, I've got some good news and probably some bad news. Uh, let me just quickly ask, how many of you have been here every night? All right, thank you. The good news is that there's just two more nights. <laughs> the Bible said, he that endureth unto the end, the same shall be saved. So let me encourage you that have got a good track record, hang in there. It won't last forever. Praise God. If you're a visitor, we're glad you're here tonight. We want you just to feel at home and worship the Lord and let God bless you. And uh, maybe you worship a little different. It doesn't matter. You worship God however is good for you. Amen. We're here to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And that's what it's all about. Praise God. I, uh, I do love the Lord and... Again, I want to thank Pastor Ken for this great opportunity to come and be with you a few nights as we have. And I'd like to say I'm thankful for my wife. She is a good woman in spite of what you think. Uh, she is very kind, sweet, and generous. And Sister Judy, I, I do appreciate you. We've been many miles together through a lot of situations and some were good, some were not so good, uh, but thank God he saw us through all of them. Amen? The old song said, through many dangers, toils and snare, I have already come. Tis grace that's brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. I believe that, don't you? I believe that. Thank God for that amazing grace. Sister Judy, I'm going to ask you to stand and pray before I try to share the word tonight. Yes. Oh, yes, God, we are grateful. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God bless. God bless. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Several years ago in Dallas, Texas, it was an Easter Sunday morning. <clears throat> Pastor and his wife and children got up to eat breakfast before they went to their service. Children were so excited. They were just snickering and laughing and, and just so thrilled. And when their father came down for breakfast, they couldn't hardly contain themselves. And he asked them, he said, what in the world is wrong with you, girls? And they just snickered and carried on. And, and then they carried out a white suit that they had bought. 
for their dad to wear to church on Easter Sunday morning. And so the pastor dressed up in his white suit and he went out to get in his new Cadillac that the church had bought him. And they, as a family, rode to, to the church. And as they pulled up, they parked in that special parking place that says, Pastor. And he got out. And his family was standing on the sidewalk. And as he looked toward the tabernacle, his church, there was people just coming in like bees going to a hive. And he was so excited. The sun was shining. The sky was blue. The temperatures were moderate. The flowers were blooming. The grass was cut neat. And he thought, God, this is a good day to be alive. And they walked up the sidewalk together laughing and, and thinking about the goodness of the Lord. And just as they came to the steps that lead up into the tabernacle where there was marble columns supporting the porch and there was big glass doors and ushers standing on the inside and people were talking and it was just a great day. All of a sudden out from behind the shrubbery came an individual, frail, nasty, hair matted together, scraggly beard, smelt terrible, skin was just stained yellow, it was so soiled. He came out from behind the bush, grabbed the pastor around the waist and just slid down him and began to cry. And of course, everyone was stunned and the wife screamed out and some of the men began to rush toward the pastor. And the pastor was standing there like this, looking down at the man. And finally, when the wife caught herself, she was hitting him with her purse, hollering, let him go. You're going to soil his new suit. People come charging down to take hold of this man and pull him away from the pastor. And the pastor all of a sudden cried out, Leave him alone. Don't touch him. And he looked down at that man. And as this man lifted up his eyes, tears was running down his cheek. And he was just kind of muttering and trembling all over. And the pastor said, Can't you see that he's been beat down enough in life. He doesn't need no one else to judge him, but he needs somebody to lift him up. And the people backed up, and the pastor reached down and took this frail, fragile, flesh and bone man, carried him up that grand staircase, walked through those glass doors, down the aisle of that beautiful church to an old-fashioned altar. And he laid him down and he prayed him through to old-time salvation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And they say that when you visit that church today, you'll see a small-framed man dressed to the nine sitting over on the side of the the next to the aisle, he is number one deacon. Number one deacon. Head deacon. Pastor will testify he's the best deacon I've ever had. But here was a man who in the eyes of the world was a throwaway. 
Here was a man who was not worth the time or the trouble to even fool with him. And most would have said he's hopeless and he's not worth the effort. But I'm sure that as that pastor looked down upon him that day, surely the grace of God must have touched his heart. And he must have seen in the eyes of that troubled, broken man someone that were it not for the grace of God could be in him in that position. We stand here today free, thrilled, happy, excited, on our way to heaven only as a result of the grace of God. And I'm going to tell you, my friend, we need to remember that amazing grace when others walk in who may not dress like us, who may not look like us, who may not smell like us. We need to remember that it is the grace of God that's extended down to all men regardless of color, creed, whatever. God loves all men. And his son Jesus died on the cross that all could be saved. And what we have got to avoid and what we have got to guard against in this evil day is letting ourselves judge men and women by what we see and what we hear. Amen. Let me, let me share something with you. This is a great thought. The Lord gave this to me. A long time ago, I noticed in a book the statement that said some of the greatest battles you'll ever fight is in your mind. And that's worth remembering because this is a battlefield. We think Vietnam was bad, and it was. We think Iraq is bad, and it was. We think that the Civil War was bad, and it was. But I want to tell you, right here is one of the deadliest battlefields that you will ever engage in. Did you know that the mind takes what it sees and it takes what it hears and those two items formulate what we think. And what we think shapes what we do. You know that? You remember last night or the night before I told someone, I said, you've heard the old saying, the longer I thought about it, the madder I got. You think about it. You mull on it. You dwell on it. You harbor that thing. You feed that thing. You let that thing fester and it'll grow. And the first thing you know, it'll take control of your actions. And you'll be acting in a way that you have no business acting in. Do you not remember the story of David and Bathsheba? Do you not remember that it started with a glance? And do you not remember that he inquired and they said who she was and her husband was way off somewhere in the battle and she was at home alone? It was those seeds that caused his mind to begin to churn and think. And you know the rest of the story, what those thoughts led him to do. Amen. 
We need to be aware. We need to be cautious. We need to understand that, my friend, what we see and what we hear, guard your eyes, guard your mind against a lot of this junk that's out there in the world. Stay away from it. Leave it alone. You don't need it. Amen? It'll only contaminate you. Well, if I choke to death, you'll know what happened. <laughs> I can't get the button unbuttoned. And I'm not calling my wife up here again to do that. I had to do that one night. But let me tell you something. I, I want you to think about this for a moment. When Jesus was on the cross, you remember what Isaiah said. It's a funny it's a funny thing to me, and I look today, I spent quite a bit of time looking at the New Testament. And did you know that in the New Testament, all it says about Jesus, that he was crucified? You'll find it in all four books. You'll find it in the book of Acts. You'll find it scattered all the way through, even into the book of Revelations. But all it's going to say is, he was crucified. Are they crucified him? They don't go into great detail. Not like what Isaiah did in the 52nd chapter and verse 14. Show it to us, boys. Uh, but here we get a description. We get a little insight. And you know, I've seen people, and you've seen people, in their homes, they'll have pictures hanging. Jesus on the cross. I remember Mama used to have one that would light up and had a big gold frame around it. And you could turn on the light and it would shine down on Jesus. And it showed that picture. But all you saw, he was hanging there with a little cloth around him, crown of thorns on his hands, a little trickle of blood here, a little trickle of blood here and maybe a little red around the hand and that was it. I mean, that was a, you know, it, it, it wasn't a bad picture to look at. But, you know, I think when Mel Gibson come along and he did this, this uh, movie that he did, what was the name of it? Passion, The Passion. Now, I, you know, I don't advocate all of these things, and I don't say it was perfect to the letter, but I say he has probably got closer to depicting what Jesus went through and how he was treated and what he looked like than anybody that I know of. Amen? Because I'm going to tell you, when the actual event was taking place, there wasn't no loincloth hanging on him. He was stripped naked, hanging between heaven and earth. His skin was not pure and silky looking with a little trickle of blood here and yonder. But my friend, there were gashes. His skin was just hanging on. His body was bleeding profusely. He was stained red from head to toe with his own blood. And the Bible said many were astonished at him for his visage or his appearance was so marred more than any man they had never and they were used to crucifying 
they were used to people being crucified in that day. But Gene, they had never seen anyone that had been so treated and so beaten and so battered and so bruised as what Jesus, it was simply, he was so disfigured that you couldn't even recognize him as a man. Hallelujah. I tell you what, I think that Mary and all of those that were there stood at a distance out of respect because of the way he was treated, because of the way that they had displayed him. He was just beyond recognition. He looked like a slab of meat hanging there, swollen, disfigured. There he hung. And let me tell you something. Those that were there, those disciples, those who loved him, those who had followed him, they beheld this with their eyes. And they couldn't believe it. But it left an indelible impression on their mind. That I'm sure that when they closed their eyes, it was still just as vivid as it had been. It was not something you could just look at and walk away and forget about. But it left an impression through what they saw on their mind. And I'm sure that the devil, as he always does, reared up there beside them. And he began to tell them, oh, this is your Savior. This is your Lord. This is your leader. This is the head of your church. This is the Messiah. Look at him hanging up there. Doesn't look too kingly to me. Doesn't look too much like a savior to me. If he was, he could save his own self. And he whispered in their ear. And the final capstone of it all was when Jesus hanging there on the cross cried out, it is finished. Now, he had a purpose for saying that. But I'll grant you that the devil took it and used that to his advantage. And he said, see, he's dead. He's gone. It's over. He's given up. He himself has even admitted he's finished. Now what are you going to do? So the Bible says that at the appointed time, they took him down. Some of them begged for his body. They got it. They carried him to a borrowed tomb and placed him in there. They wrapped him. They, uh, they anointed him. They didn't really embalm him, but they anointed him with the spices and whatever the procedure was. Now, you say, well, Brother Shaw, they should have been excited about that. No, they weren't excited. They were hiding because they thought it was all over. Their hopes had been dashed. Their, their, their confidence had been robbed. Their Messiah was dead. He was gone. It was finished. What are we going to do now? Next thing you know, they're coming after us. So they went behind locked doors and they cried and they pondered on this image that was in their mind. You say, how do you know that? Well, the third morning... There wasn't nobody there at the tomb. 
when he got up and came forth. Huh? The women, at the break of day, they started making their journey there. But, but notice what they did. They started making the journey. They didn't go to see a resurrected Savior. They had bags or bowls or whatever of spices that they were going to re-anoint the body again because by now the heat and the climate, it was already beginning to decay. And so they had this with them. And you know what? They didn't see the sun rise. They didn't hear the birds singing. They didn't notice the green grass and the rabbits and anything else that might have been around. All they could think about is who is going to roll away the stone for us. How are we going to be able to do what we got to do? Never thinking about heaven. Never thinking about God never thinking about his promise. They were dwelling on what they had seen and what they had heard. And they, um, let me give you this back, Lauren. I'm sorry. I'll take it home with me. They were dwelling on all these things, Brother Gene, that was locked in their mind. And they had already given up. And as they stumbled along and as they drug along, they were sad, they were broken, they were pondering, how are we going to get in there? You know what? Now this. This really bothers me. Did you know that all across this country on Sunday morning, Brother Murphy, we've got people that's just like those women. They get up and they get dressed and they put their clothes on. There's no excitement. There's no anticipation. There's no enthusiasm. Hurry up and get dressed, kids. We'll be late for the eulogy. I mean the message. But that's the way they are. Guys, it's like they're going to a funeral of a dear loved one. They drag to church in a somber tone. They look like they've just lost their best friend because that's the way these ladies look. And they thought they had lost their best friend. They didn't realize that there was a greater purpose and a greater work uh, going on here. I'm going to tell you something, folks. It's time that the church recaptured its joy, that we quit going on what we see, that we quit going on what we hear, and that we understand uh, that Christ Jesus died uh, for the church. Uh, and the church has a greater purpose uh, than just to carry on like a bunch of folks going to a funeral. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm telling you, when we walk into the house of God, there needs to be some anticipation and some excitement flowing in us. When those ladies got to the tomb, they couldn't believe, oh, Lord, the stone's already rolled away. Now, notice this. Just a few moments ago, they were wondering who's going to roll it away. And they were disturbed. 
And now they get there and it is rolled away and they're still disturbed. What in the world have they done now? What have they done to the body? Where is Jesus? Who took him? My friend, when are we going to get back to understanding that the promises of God are real? Hallelujah. 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 We look around and we find fault with the church. We criticize the church. We can point out all the problems in the church. And we sit there with our arms folded and our chin reared out, our nose turned up. Well, I'm better than all these folks. We need to understand that God has called us to serve, not to be served. We are not, we are not Lord and Masters. It's not for me to sit up here like a fat cat or a big dog and say, you guys, hup, 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 hup. My friend, uh, the higher up you get, the greater your responsibility to serve the people are. Amen. Uh, someone said he's got it made. Uh, well, he may have it made, but my friend, the workload doubles, triples, quadruples. And you may have some that are fat cats and they act like it but I'm going to tell you it's going to be tough on them come judgment day amen because God keeps good records he keeps good records oh, oh I won't go into that but anyway God keeps good records my friend our purpose is not to come in and be waited on but our purpose is to come in and say oh God what can I do uh, to make this uh, a better house for you? Uh, what can I do uh, to reach out and touch somebody? What can I do to be a blessing uh, to the work, uh, to the community, and to those who come through that door? You know what's killing us? It's our attitude. It is. You think about it. From the day that the doctor slapped you and you drew your first breath, you've been dying a little bit every day because that was what you was put in here to do. You didn't come to live forever. We're going to live forever over on the other side. Amen. We're down here for a season. We're just passing through. My friend, for us to think that we are somebody special, that we're elite, or that we're uh, over the top, that we're uh, to be waited on hand and foot is wrong, wrong, wrong. We begin to die. And I'm going to tell you something. The older we get, the closer to death we come. We got some guys here tonight that's looking you over. So y'all better act alive because they're liable to get you. <laughs> you don't wiggle, you don't move, you don't shout. These guys will snatch you up in a heartbeat because that's their job. They deal with dead. So let's act alive. <laughs> Praise God. But I'm going to tell you something. Dying is not a pretty thing. What do you mean, Brother Shaw? I mean the body, what used to be strong, firm, 
agile, healthy, good-looking, full head of hair, just, you know, all of those things, as you get closer to dying, it all begins to deteriorate. Isn't that right? I mean, honest. Honest engine. It does. It all begins to go downhill, and it's not a pretty sight. And I'm going to tell you something, my friend. When I look out, when I look out on the church today, I don't see a pretty sight. I see a program that's dying. Why? Because we've turned inwardly. It's no more about him, but it's all about us. How did the pastor treat me? How did Sister Susie treat me? How did the Sunday school teacher treat me? They didn't let me sing. They didn't let me take up the offering. They didn't let me do something. It's not about me. It's not about you, but it's all about him. Hallelujah. It's for his glory. It's for his honor. Hallelujah. Praise God. We say, well, Brother Shaw, when I look at situations, uh, I'm persuaded to believe that we're never going to have revival. Well, that's what you think. When I'm looking at my family, and these young people, I'm thinking they'll never amount to anything. Well, that's what you think. When someone gets up and announces they've got cancer or that their home's in trouble, oh, God, I hate to see that. It's all over. You just throw in the towel. But I'm going to tell you something. Paul talked hallelujah Paul talked about that resurrection power amen he talks in his writings in Philippians about that resurrection power he said I want to know that that that's what I want to get plugged into he said I don't want to be governed by the laws of this land I don't want to be governed by the laws of nature. I don't want to be bound by sickness, by trouble. I don't want to be tied up by the devil. But I want to know him in that resurrection power. I want to know. I want that power working in me that supersedes anything that this world has ever known. That power that says, I don't care what you see. I don't care what you hear. And I don't even care what you think. <laughs> they didn't think Jesus would ever come up. But he came up. That power, that resurrection power brought him up. You know what, my friend? I got a wife sitting over here who... Reminds me some days at 6 o'clock when she gets up of that ever-ready bunny rabbit. I'd like to find her an unplugger so I could sleep another hour or two. But my friend, she goes. You know how she is. Uh, you know, they, they, they proved that at the camp the other day. They said, who is the shawls? Oh, that's Sister Judy. I said, who's that other guy? We don't know him. <laughs> it's like Fred and Betty. 
You know, you remember the fishers? They talked to him like he was the tortoise. And she was the hare. Always bouncing. Always got something going. Well, folks, I'm telling you now. It doesn't matter what your situation looks like. I know your children can get in trouble, Gene. I know that young people get in trouble. But I know that there is a power that supersedes any problem, anything that they can get in. And for you to sit there and let the devil tell you that your children can't be saved, don't buy into that. For you to sit there and let the doctors tell you, as he told my wife, you've got MS, you will never be any better, you will never walk, you will not live, you will end up being a vegetable and you will die. Forty-some years ago he told her, See what the Lord can do? Amen? I'm telling you, I don't care. I don't care what they say. There is a power that can raise you up and heal your body regardless of what it's called or who calls it. I'll tell you what, it's not over till the Lord gets through. You say, Brother Shaw, our churches are dying. I know it. I know it better than you do. I go around every week and I visit them and I see them and I'm there when they don't have church and I'm there when the four or five drag in. But you know what? I try to tell them, hey, there's enough people around this community to fill this place up. And our God can do it if you're willing to serve, if you're willing to be used, if those of you that are here will get excited uh, and get to praying uh, and ring on the prayer bells. Uh, my God can turn that situation around. You can have revival that will shake the very foundation uh, of your community. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it with all of my heart. I don't care what anyone says. I don't care what anyone does. I'm telling you, there is a power that we have never yet tapped into that is available even in the midst of this sinful and ungodly day that we're living in. And it will raise us up from the ashes. And it will renew our strength. And like the eagle we can climb to newer heights in our relationship with God than we have ever seen before. Uh, the end is not here yet. It may be close, but there's still a work to do. There's still a people that God has called and God is depending on to rise up and say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, we believe you. We trust in you. In Revelations, I'm just going to share this with you. Revelations 1, 12, verse 12, guys. You can look at it. I'm not going to read it. But in Revelations 1, verse 12, John the Revelator, blinded on an isle of Patmos, basically by himself, cast over there for his doings, over there by himself in the dark, the Lord appeared to him. God began to speak to him. And as the Lord spoke, 
I don't know how he did it, but he wrote it down. He made a copy of it. And I want you to know that John describes a resurrected Savior. Hallelujah. Not one that's beat up, not one that's battered, not one that's broken, not one that's defeated, not one that's swollen and unrecognizable. But my friend, he said, and I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Go on, guys. Give me another one. Verse 13. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. Hallelujah. Not what he looked like when he died, but what he looked like when he was walking and talking. Said it looked just like him. And he was clothed with a garment down to his foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. One more, guys. His head and his hair were white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. Give me another one. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. One more. And he had in his hand seven stars out of his mouth when a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. That doesn't sound like a defeated Savior to me. That sounds like one that is resurrected, one that is full of power, one that has the victory. And I'm telling you, my friend, the reason I believe that John got that vision was so that the church that was coming along could get a greater picture of what Jesus is and not what he was. Amen. He is victorious. He has rose. He does have all power in heaven and earth. Don't let the devil talk to you. Don't let him lie to you. Don't let him tell you your kids can't be saved because all things are possible through my Lord and Savior. There is a power that is available that can break those shackles of chain. Doctor said you can't be healed. I know someone that can. I know someone that does. Jesus. Jesus said you can't. You can't. Put that home back together. I know it's easier sometimes to quit than it is to suck up and assume your responsibilities and be a man or be a woman. But I'm telling you that my God's grace is sufficient. I don't care what you did. I don't care what she did. You get plugged into God and let that resurrection power get a hold of you. And my friend, all things can come together. The devil says it's too late to be having revival. We don't want revival. You're going to get some long-winded preacher. He's going to spit and spew and sweat and carry on keep you there all night long and nobody's going to get anything I'm going to tell you the devil's a liar 
Amen. He is a liar. You're not going to get it from me, but you can get it from God. Amen. You can get anything you want out of this meeting tonight. All you've got to do is just rise up and say, Devil, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what you say. Get off my shoulder. I'm going up there, and I'm going to get plugged in to some of that resurrection power that can turn my world and my life and my home and my problems around. Stand with me, if you will. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Father in heaven, we believe your word tonight. I believe that what it says is what it means. I believe it to be true. Lord, I believe that whatever anyone in this building is dealing with or facing, God, that there is nothing you can't help them they may not be able to handle it themselves they may not be able to cope with it on their own but oh God if they'll bring it to the Lord and leave it there he can he can do for us what we can't do I know the devil says quit quit bothering the church asking them to pray for your kids it's not going to do no good. The devil's a liar. I said the devil's a liar. I said the devil is a liar. It will do good. It will make a difference. By God can turn it around for you and do what you can't do. Don't be bothering those folks with your sickness. They've got problems of their own. They don't want to spend all night up there praying and lollygagging over you just give it up go ahead and die God's not interested in you I tell you what the devil's a liar the devil is a liar my friend there's not a one breathing air today that my God doesn't care about I don't care what you're facing my God loves you my God is concerned about you. And the Bible said, if you seek, you shall find. Hallelujah. Paul said, all things are possible. And I believe that my Lord is on the throne. And he has the power to take care of whatever you're struggling with. So tonight, my friend, I'm going to encourage you to bring that burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, He will surely bring you out. Bring your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. Would you join me in this altar tonight? Maybe you're here and you've got a bad report. Maybe you're here and you've got children that have drifted away. Maybe you're here and your home's on shaky ground. Maybe you're here and you're about ready to quit church because you've kind of lost interest. You need to bring it to the Lord. Bring it to the Lord tonight. Come on, folks. Let's bring it to the Lord tonight. Every one of us has got needs. Every one of us are facing problems. Every one of us are troubled by something or another. Bring it to the Lord in prayer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.